Thank you, Rich. Um, it is really good to be with you here this morning. I bring greetings from Cane Bay. Um, like Rich said, we are working to plant a church there, and God is growing that and blessing that. And two of your own elders are serving us on our temporary session because we don't have elders. Um, so both Rich and um, Ron Hemingway have been a great blessing to us, and we're so thankful for your service. If you have a Bible with you, please open to Psalm chapter 139. While you do that, I'll just say, uh, again, I have my lovely wife, Annalie, and my two kids. So if you hear kids making noise, it might be mine. Um, we have been praying for you guys at Hope. Uh, our church is called Hope Community Church of Cane Bay, and we pray for you guys. Um, as one of the sister churches in our presbytery. So um, just feel that love uh, from your brothers and sisters up in Cane Bay. So Psalm chapter 139. Um, Before I read this, let me just say a word about it. If you know, the book of Psalms is a prayer book and a hymn book for God's people. That's us. Um, And this psalm specifically is written by David, and it's a psalm of vindication. David is crying out to God and saying, Lord, you know me. You know I'm innocent. You know me very well. Um, So let's read this. This is God's word, and then I'll pray. Psalm 139, God's perfect word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. 
If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. This is God's word. Let me pray. God, thank you for this word. It is a powerful word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be here and push the truth down into our hearts. I thank you that you know everyone in this room completely, right down to our bones. Lord, while I am, I do not know um, everyone here, uh, you do, and you have the power to apply your word to each of our hearts, so I ask that you would do that. Lord, I pray that you would drive away distractions and that we would taste your grace, Lord. Not a grace that is, is just in the New Testament, but is throughout your word. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Lord, please push this truth, push this gospel deep into our bones, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with a two-year-old? Um, I have, and I do on a regular basis. Um, Camilla, I'm talking about you. I don't know if you're here. Uh, well, if you want to feel brilliant... This is a good way to do it. I was recently playing hide-and-seek with my daughter. She's two. And I said, all right, Camilla, I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to count to ten. And when I come back, you need to be hidden. And she said, okay, Dad, I'll hide. You know. So I go out and I count to ten. Ready or not, here I come. And I walk in the room. And there she is with just her head tucked under the bed. And her legs and body are sticking out. I'm like, Camilla, I see you. You're right there. So I explained to her, you can't. Just because you can't see me doesn't mean I can't see you. So I go back out. I count to ten. Ready or not, here I come. And this time she had changed her mind. At the last minute, she was scurrying across the room trying to find a new hiding spot. Um, She's not very good at hiding, Camilla. But we're like this. At one time or another, each of us as Christians, as humans... We'll try to hide from God. We try to pre- pretend that we're okay. We cover our sins. Um, but just like Camilla, just like a, any two-year-old, our hiding is useless. It's futile. God sees us. So as we look at our passage today, I want to answer this question. Why should you stop hiding from God? And you'll see, I think it's on page 8 in your bulletin, there's an outline. And you'll see the three points there. Because God knows the real you. Because God sees your sin. And because God loves to show mercy. So let's look at point one. 
Stop hiding because God knows the real you. In our passage today, like I said, David has been falsely accused. So he cries out to God, the only one who truly knows his heart. Look at verses 1 through 4. Look what he says there. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. In the midst of these false allegations, David turns to God, the only one who really knows him. And his reputation is so thoroughly destroyed that he's comforting himself. He's going to God to comfort him with the reality that whatever, whatever people say about him, God knows who he really is. This is true for us. God looks into your heart and he sees your thoughts, your motivations and desires. There is nothing hidden from his sight. He is the only one who truly knows you. This is good news. If your reputation has been damaged or you've been falsely accused, or if you just find yourself hungry for the approval of others. This is deeply comforting. It means that it's not what other people think or say about you that matters. It's God's opinion that we should care about. You remember uh, in the book of Samuel, David is driven into the wilderness. Saul puts a bounty on his head, accuses him of treason, accuses him of trying to steal the throne. He's labeled an enemy of the state. He's in exile. He's hiding in caves. He's hunted. But David has only been obedient. And he's, he's wandering in, in the wilderness merely because he's been falsely accused, not because of any real wrong that he's done. Look at verses 18 there. There's this unexpected shift that takes place uh, from, in the transition from verse 18 to 19. For, for 18 verses, David is meditating on God's complete intimate knowledge of him. And then there's this weird shift, this strange, where he switches gears completely. Look at what he says in verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak evil against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. This passage is kind of offensive to our modern ears, all this talk of hate. But you see what David's doing. Uh, part, of, part of the accusation against David's were, were apparently that he was the one rebelling against God. He was an enemy of God. So he's refuting this false, allega- this false allegations, and he's, he's distancing himself from God's real enemies, these bloodthirsty men who are really against God. I am not an enemy of God. In fact, you're an enemy of God. That's what he's saying. 
it's helpful to understand that there's, there's two uh, things here. There's reputation. That's what people think of you. And then there's reality. And that's who God knows you to be. And in this case, David's reputation is ruined. He is an enemy of the state. He's in exile. He has a bounty on his head. So he goes to God to steady himself, to ground himself in the reality that God knows him. No matter what anyone else says, God knows him. Do you see that right there in the text? Uh, like I said, I have a daughter, and we get to read read kids' books. And there's one that is my favorite. It's about uh, a little wooden doll named Punchinello. And it illustrates this point excellently. Uh, so Punchinello lives in a town of Wemmix, and they're basically these little wooden dolls. Uh, they're all carved by the woodcarver named Eli. What's sad is that all these dolls, they carry around gray dots and gold stars And when someone does something good, you get a gold star. And when you do something bad, you get a gray dot. Or when you trip and fall, gray dot. Or when people don't think you're cool, gray dot. Punchinello, the main character, he he failed a lot. He's a clumsy Wemmick. He's kind of silly. He doesn't, he's not good at anything. So he gets lots and lots of gray dots. And one day he meets Lucia. Lucia has no dots or stars. And he asks her, Lucia, how, how is this possible that you don't have any dots or stars? And she says, well, I just, it's easy. I go visit Eli, the woodcarver, every day. So Punchinello decides, you know, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of all these gray dots. It's not right. I'm going to go visit Eli. And this is a quote from the book. I'll read it. Maybe some of you guys are familiar with it. This is what it says. Punchinello walked up the path and stepped into Eli's shop. His eyes grew big. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on tiptoe to see the top of the workbench. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. Then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. How good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello looked up. You know my name? Of course, I made you. Eli picked him up and set him on the bench. Looks like you've been given some bad marks, said the maker. I I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Punchinello, I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, you shouldn't either. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think. Punchinello laughed. I'm not very talented and my paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met Lucia, said Punchinello. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what others think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? 
The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled, you will, but it will take time. For now, come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as Punchinello was leaving, you are special because I made you. And I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. Aren't you tired of messing around with gray dots and gold stars? Do not hope in your reputation. Do not hope in your reputation. It is an illusion, and it will not last. Instead, rest in the reality that God knows you. How beautiful would it be to navigate daily life without fear of what people thought about you? Be comforted by the reality that it is God's opinion of you that matters and not any other person's. Well, there's also a fearful side of this reality that God knows us, and that's where we see point two. Stop hiding because God sees your sin. You see, we know, the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, that that there is darkness inside of us. So we're committed to hiding, we're to covering, to pretending. Since Adam and Eve committed the first sin, we have been hiding. David explores this option, the option to hide, in verses 7 through 12. So let's look there at verses 7 through 12. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? He's asking this question, is there somewhere I can hide from God? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That's a a poetic way of saying east, as far east as you can go and as far west as you can go. He goes on. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So he, he gives up on actually getting away from God and he says, well, maybe I can conceal myself under the cover of night. But no, God has night vision. He can see without light. But where can we go to hide from God? Seriously, maybe there's somewhere that we haven't looked. Maybe we're just not ambitious enough. We can find somewhere to hide. What if we go to space? Maybe God won't see our sins there. No, God created the heavens and the earth. He's there. What if we lock the doors, turn off the lights, shut the blinds? God sees us there. What if we clear our internet history? God still sees us there, not fooling him. As far east or west, heaven or hell, there's nowhere 
out of God's sight. God is the ultimate eyewitness. We're not the first ones to try this. Think of the different stories in the Bible. Jonah tried this. Remember, God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach grace. And what did he do? He went the opposite direction. Didn't work for him. He was swallowed by a whale and ended up in Nineveh. Adam and Eve, of course, the ultimate hiders. They hid from God, hid from their creator. After they, re- after they sinned, they realized they were naked. And what did they do? They went and they found fig leaves. And they said, God says, why, why are you hiding? He said, well, we realized uh, we were afraid because we were naked. And this is, this is really the most twisted logic. I mean, just think about it. Uh, I, you know, I want to sit Adam and Eve down and say, okay, so you realized you were naked, so you went and hid in the bushes from the guy who made you with his bare hands. He knows your nakedness better than you do. But we do this too, don't we? But because God has made you, he knows you better than you know yourself. Look at verses 13 through 16. This is exactly what David is talking about. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows who we are and what we will do. Remember, something hit me for the first time when I became a dad for the first time. After seeing my daughter be born, and obviously you know when babies are born, they're naked. Um. And after changing her dirty diapers, I realized my mom gave birth to me. My mom changed my dirty diapers. And I realized my my parents actually know me better than I know myself in a lot of ways. Why why do I pretend to have it all together when I go to my parents? They know me. They were there when I was born. They changed my dirty diapers. And yet God knows us far more intimately, even than our parents know us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Well, how can you know if you're hiding from God? What are some tests that will help us see, are we really hiding from God? Well, first and probably most obvious is if you have a hard time Confessing your sins to other humans. If you cover your sins in front of other humans, then it's likely that you are hiding from God. So confess to a trusted brother or sister, remembering that it's God's opinion of you that matters. How else can you know? If it's, if it's hard to pray, if it's hard to talk to God, it might be because you're hiding from him. If it's hard to let other humans 
really know you to let them in. You may be hiding from God. If you have to distract yourself constantly, it may be because you're hiding from God. You haven't let Jesus into every room of your house, so you have to constantly distract yourself. Sadly, uh, regrettably, the church pews are a great place to hide from God. Because you can have the reputation of one who is close to God when the reality is you are just using the church as camouflage. This is a sad reality. Look, if you are hiding from God in a small way or in a big way, you need to know that you're not the first one to try it. Every human in the history of the world has tried this. But you need to know that it does not work. It will not work. This psalm exposes the reality of God's knowledge of us and the absolute futility of hiding from our all-seeing God. As Hebrews 4 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So here we are. We are naked, exposed before the eyes of God. He sees the depths of our sins laid out before him, past, present, future. And now the question is, the really, the really big question is, what is God going to do? How will our God respond? This is point three, which is the best point by far. Stop hiding because God loves to show mercy. If we're going to fully understand this psalm, if we're going to understand it, we need to understand how it fits into the storyline of Scripture. So let's go to one passage in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9. Feel free to turn there if you'd like. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. We're going to look at how Jesus responds to people like us. This is what it says, Matthew 9, 10, starting in verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see how Jesus responds to us? Like a good doctor... He moves towards us with mercy and healing. Why do we hide? Why do you think we hide? Because we think 
that when we go to God, if we were to go to God, he would condemn us. Because we believe the, the lie that if God knew, he wouldn't forgive us. We believe the lie that he, he can't handle the depth of our sin. We believe that there's no solution to the problem. But Jesus, in this passage, he says, I am a great doctor. And I didn't come for healthy people. I came for sick people. This is a really helpful metaphor, just to think about this doctor metaphor. What do you do when you go to the doctor? Okay, you go in, you check in. They, they hand you a sheet to fill out. And this sheet is probably some of the most humiliating paperwork that you ever fill out. You get the privilege and the honor of writing down everything that's wrong with you. And, of course, you, you get the clipboard and you kind of make sure no one's looking and you start checking boxes, right? And you're like, oh, I really hope nobody sees me. Asking yourself, how honest do I need to be to get good treatment? You know, I'll just check the one box for the thing that I, that I need treatment for. I've done that before. But if you really want help, if you really want treatment, what do you do? You check all the boxes. If you really are desperate to be healed, you check all the boxes that you can honestly check. And we do it, too. When we go to the doctor, we check those boxes because we know we need help. So I ask you this, what sins from your past, what suffering, we'll put sins aside for a moment, what suffering do you need? What boxes need to be checked when you go to Jesus? What do you need to bring to our gracious, good doctor? It's really easy to create a barrier between our past and our present. And, and we think to ourselves, you know, I'm not the same person I used to be. And it's true that our past does not define us. But it will weigh you down. David describes this in Psalm 32. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. So instead of being weighed down by past sins, God calls us to confess, to bring both our sins and our suffering to the Lord. He says, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. This passage, you probably recognize it. It's a very famous passage. Uh, one of the reasons it's famous is because it's often used to make the biblical case against abortion, and rightly so. David says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. God, you see, God knows us personally before we are born because we are persons before we are born. One in four women in the United States will have an abortion at some time in their life. And you may be one of these women or one of the men involved. And this is sad. This is sad for the women and men involved and sad for the, the little babies that we will never get to meet. 
But you need to know, if that's you, if that's part of your story, that God has seen your abortion. And that Christ died to pay the price for that too. In Christ, you no longer need to hide. You are forgiven. It is God who justifies who is to condemn. There is nothing for any of us in our past. There's nothing in your past that God cannot forgive. The sins of your youth, forgiven. Sexual sins, forgiven. Things you pretend never happened, forgiven when we bring them to Jesus. So don't hide from God anymore. Stop pretending that you can cover your sins. We've seen that his all-seeing eye sees everything. Bring it to him. Present your heart to him. As David does in this passage where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and receive his mercy. How great is God's mercy? You may think, is there enough mercy for me? His mercy is very great, and I'll tell just one concluding illustration to to prove to you that his mercy is great. Many of you are familiar with Corey Ten Boom, Um, You probably know she was a watchmaker in Holland during World War II. And she helped to hide Jews in her shop. She was a Christian. Eventually, she was caught and sent to a Nazi concentration camp. And there in that Nazi concentration camp, she was tortured, humiliated, um, in all kinds of unspeakable ways. Her sister, Betsy, dies there. And Corey tells the story of how she was put to the test, well, how her forgiveness was put to the test in 1947 after the war. She was speaking in a church in Germany. Can you imagine? Back in Germany. At the close of the service, uh, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. And she froze because she knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards in her concentration camp, one who had mocked the women as they showered. And all her memories came flooding back. And now listen, listen to how she recounts this moment where her forgiveness was tested. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake mine and saying, a fine message. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him in the leather crop swinging from his belt, I was face to face face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. 
but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. So again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had been again and again forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? The soldier stood there expectantly waiting. I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current, starting in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. Corey forgave that man that day. And let me tell you, God's forgiveness, his mercy, is so much more than hers. His mercy is far greater than Corey's. He waits for you with arms wide open, just like Eli the woodcarver was waiting for Punchinello. Every day I have been hoping you'd come. This is our God. This is our God. So don't hide anymore. Whether it's small or big, come to the one who knows everything that you've ever done and be forgiven. Come to the one who loves to show mercy. Let me pray. God, you are merciful. Shockingly merciful, offensively merciful. Lord, would you help us to believe that your mercy is more? As we just sung, Lord, help us to believe that your mercy is more than anything, than everything. Lord, I pray that we would not hide from you anymore. Whether it's a small thing or a big thing, Lord, let us always run to you as a child runs to her father. Let us run to you and receive mercy, which you love to give generously. Lord, we pray now as we lift your name high, that your name would be glorified. Because, Lord, you are the only one who gives mercy like this. You are the only one worthy of worship. And so we pray that you will receive it now. In Jesus' name, amen.